everybody, it's the Mankind Podcast. Kind men, listen to this podcast. The revolution of masculinity with your host, Scoop the Gruder! Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Scoop. Thanks for tuning in. We got a lot of shit to shoot. Today's guest is a very dear friend. We're going to talk a little while. Do it through the lens of masculinity. What is that? Hey, I don't even know, but it's time for you and me to get real with it. Yeah, it's time for the show. Hey, folks, welcome to the Mankind Podcast. I'm your host, Scoot Magruder. With me, as always, is Mike, Mike 1 and Mike 2. And on the opposite side of Mike 2, I've got a very special guest today. Her name is Susanna Ray Downing, and she is an artist of the nth degree. She works with wood. She works with metal. She works with fabric. She works with people's souls and hearts and minds. She is a lovely, lovely person. I'm so proud to have her in the studio today. Before we get to Susanna, I want to give a huge shout-out to our sponsor, Spitz Mediterranean Street Food. Uh, they got 10 locations in the United States, four in Utah, four in L.A., one in Minneapolis, one in Portland. They make excellent, healthy, donor kebab-style food. You can get a beer, you can get a glass of wine, you can watch the game. And they are just doing a great job. And right now, during the uh, coronavirus pandemic, they're doing takeout. So go to spitzrestaurant.com, check out their Instagram feed. They're doing all sorts of cool things. They have uh, plastic gloves, masks, toilet paper, tissue paper for uh, sale uh, via their um, mobile services. So check out Spitz. Not only is their food amazing, but their humanitarian effort is just as great. Folks, without further ado, Susanna Ray. Downing. <laughs> okay, Susanna, we're live. <laughs> How are you? I'm I'm well. Yeah. Trying to stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, we're this is the middle of the quarantine. This is it. Um. And yet we're probably five feet away from each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Um. We could have done this on uh, phone. I actually don't have the correct uh, device yet to do it on phone. But I think it's also good to be. You know, with people. Yes, um, I agree. Especially right now, it's sort of, you know, we I feel a little bit starved for yeah. being able to look someone in the eyes in the present moment and, and speak with them. Right, yeah. <laughs> Something we take for granted, I think. Yeah. So tell us, I know that you have an artistic outlet that is two different artistic outlets that I know of that you really have a hand-to-eye uh, you know, focus. Yes. Um, could you talk about that? Uh, sure. Um, I started with drawing when I was a kid, um, and turned into painting and sculpture and, and basically just, uh, exploring the world through, uh, making things, um, you know, exploring kind of what the world was about based on the objects that, that fill it and what those objects are for and our relationship to them. And I was very lucky as a kid to uh, live in a community where we were way, way out in the countryside Mm. and people made things, um, partly because you didn't want to drive an hour and a half to town, (laughs) Mm. Um, but also because I think the kind of people who ended up out there were the kind of people who, who wanted to make the things that they lived their lives with. Um, 
And so, and I, I had a, a great advantage, I think, as a kid, and as my, my parents started to um, sort of recognize that I had artistic, an artistic bent, that I mm. had a desire to make art. Yeah. Um, they were very encouraging of me in that. Why do I think your parents were educators? Uh, no, my, my mom taught sometimes. They, my, each of my parents did many different things. Okay. Um, my dad had a PhD in geology and uh, worked overseas actually a lot. Um, That's right. But uh, he couldn't always get geological work. And so when he, when he couldn't, he was a contractor. Mm. And he built the house that my brother and I grew up in. Oh. I think that that's a really big part of the reason that I was drawn to woodworking. Is it's something my dad did. And, um, and it was something that I got to live my life in. And it was also how I felt his love for us. Um, he, that, that was how my father expressed his care with the way that he took care of us was to fix things and to make things and to, you know, shelter us. Mm -hmm. And it was a log house. It was beautiful. He Mm -hmm. was, he was an incredible, is an Mm -hmm. incredible craftsman. Um, hickory floors, uh, knotty pine paneling, the whole thing was wood. It was beautiful. And then, uh, when I was a teenager, I learned how to do masonry and taught my dad and my brother so we went up the hill and we got uh, shale from the hillside and and just rocks that were around and we we uh, did the masonry on the, the bottom of the house because it was built on a hill okay. so the the part that was dug into the hill and up that was all log right and then there was cinder block on the bottom wow. and we had always said oh river rock you know we'll maybe get a kid and, and do it and then I, I learned masonry from a friend of mine and, um, and I said, no, we should, we should do this. And my dad was totally gung-ho. So we, um, we, we did the masonry on the bottom of the house. So that was really cool. Wow. Yeah. So you were a teenager and you learned masonry. Yeah. Actually, this is a funny story, too. Um, so uh, when I was a kid, I, I got into dance classes. And mm-hmm. the woman who was my teacher uh, was named Chris. And she was oh, probably in her late 50s when I met her when I was 12. Mm. And she became a really important person in my life. Mm. And uh, when I was a teenager, my folks were kind of having trouble economically. And Mm. and Chris said, well, you know, don't drop out of class. You can come and work on my place and, and, you know, pay for your classes that way. Oh, wow. So so I did. And she lived on a mountain. (laughs) She lived on on Lookout Mountain. And it was off the grid. She Mm. had... um, you're near like Wairika, Northern California. Yes, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So this is down the Scott River. Okay. And yeah, like I said, off the grid. I mean, that's you know a good hour and a half from town. Okay. And, oh wow. Um, well, Fort Jones, it's not quite as far, but uh, yeah. So she, you know, had a vegetable garden. She was like doing the thing, like mm. survivalist style. Okay. She was an incredible woman. She, you know, was an artist. She was a trained classical singer, and she had all these books. Mm. She's like out in the wilderness on a mountain with all these books, and and she was. Part of the deal of how she got to live up there is that the Forest Service was selling off plots of land, and they were selling them really cheap, but the deal was you had to uh, take care of the woods that you bought. Okay. So what she did is she bought, oh, God, I don't even know how many acres it was. It was like, I want to say, I want to say 30 acres. It was a lot of land. Yeah. And um, she had the whole thing logged. And then... What does that mean? Like... She cut down the trees. Because when she bought the land, it was... The trees were, you know, old and tiny. Okay. And really 
densely packed. Okay. Um, so like major fire hazard. It was not, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy for the soil. It wasn't healthy for the trees. wasn't healthy for anything. So, okay. so what they did is they got in and they thinned it. Okay. Like cut down probably 60% of the trees that were there so that, so that the trees that they left could be healthier and, and, and grow. Okay. Um, so basically I was, I was helping her, uh, log her, her oh. property oh, wow. and, and construct her house. Um, oh, wow. yeah. And so, and she, <laughs> this woman was wild. She was like five foot two huh. and she would, I mean, you know, when she, and her house was incredible. She made mm. this piece of art out in the wilderness that yeah. she lived in. And it was this constantly evolving project. It was like, you know, she'd, she'd, you know, construct this, this beautiful thing and then like change your mind and rip it all out. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's like there to help her. So, you know, we'd huh. like, and it was, it was so sketchy. <laughs> it's oh. like we'd, yeah, she'd like, like rev up the chainsaw in the house and like cut the thing oh <laughs> while I was holding it or whatever. Oh it was wild. Um, so it was, it was very cool to, cause you know, this is all sort of at the bo- backdrop of, you know, my, my father and having mm-hmm. learned a little bit of, of how to do stuff from him. And I mean, he'd, you know, take us out to, to do things like chop firewood, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't, so I, I grew up sort of doing that kind of stuff with my dad and my younger brother. Right. Um, and I was the big one, so I would do the heavy lifting okay. until he went through puberty. Okay. And, and then he was like better with a chainsaw than I was. Oh. So he was then the chainsaw and I was the person who rolled the logs up the hill, which was oh. a hard, <laughs> it, was a, it was a hard transition to make, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. Huh. So, so yeah, at the backdrop of that and then, you know, working in shops like in my high school where I took, mm-hmm. you know, machine shops and, and wood shop classes and stuff like that, yeah. um, w- which was very sort of male dominated. Right. There was this this woman right. in my life that I was working for who was just doing this all by herself and with the help of a seventeen year old girl. Right. You know? And um Chris had no association with the school district. Nope. No, so no. So like people in the woodshop class wouldn't know necessarily that you were doing this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, it was a funny mixture, you know, and, and talking about masculinity it's been it's been such an interesting journey to mm. find myself in these sort of industrial shop situations yeah. and surrounded by men and kind of going into it and i i've been really surprised i've been really surprised um mm. i part of the reason i love working with wood cuz that's my my the medium certainly that i've been focusing on uh, lately, and that's the medium that I think you know will get me places. Yeah, can you um, b- before you go to this story, yeah, tell course, us quickly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you say the name of the business or the the work that sure. you do? Yeah, so right now I'm working for Parkman Woodworks, mm-hmm. and they are in Chinatown, and they uh, we make we make furniture, mostly tables, out of reclaimed wood. Um, so these it's all Douglas fir, and it's coming out of warehouses. Um, or, or any kind of construction that has got this uh, Douglas fir framing. Okay. And there are uh, two by tens, two by eights, two by sixes, and we use two by fours for um, butcher block. And uh, and we there are a couple of different styles that we do that we that we make tables. Um, sorry, a couple of different style of tables that we make in yeah. the shop. Um, and it's all it's all commissioned. We make it all. Um, 
sort of to to order. Okay. Uh, people people come in and we've got a little showroom and you can see what's available okay. and then and then we make it to size. Ha- I'm envisioning like mm-hmm. cubicles of table saws and <laughs> I mean is that uh, the, sh- the shop is beautiful. Okay. It's a big open space. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, brick brick building mm-hmm. and it was they were dyeing fabric in there before we got in there and okay. it was I think they were saying it was built in like 1927. So it's been there for a long time. It's definitely the building is part of old industrial Los Angeles. And are you the only woman that works? I am, yeah. Amidst how many men? Uh, Let me see. There are three owning managers, managing owners, and uh, three uh, guys that are more um, in the construction part of it. Okay. So it's six men and myself. Okay. And and they're all fairly young. yeah, my, my previous shop experience has been mostly sort of older older guys okay. um, and me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah, so that's that's what we're doing, and I work I work for for Parkman a couple of days a week, and um, and they're they are open to letting us use the shop outside of working hours. So oh, cool. uh, I get to work on my own projects there as well. Okay. So, yeah. And before I derailed you, yeah, of course. So you you have noticed mm-hmm. um, patterns. Yeah. So basically, I, I think that there are a number of things that have drawn me to wood as a medium. Like I said, um, my the house that I grew up in was built by my father, and yeah. that was wood. And um, and that was you know I think that we we do the things that. Um, that were done for us in love. Yeah. I think the things that we can recognize as someone's care for us, the actions, you know, that's what we're drawn to, I think. You know, I mean, for uh, for Chef Steve Sampson, who you and I both work for, sure. his mother and grandmother cooked for him. Oh. And I think that's a big part of why he became a chef. I think Absolutely. That, that was part of how he felt loved. And for me, you know, my father built us a shelter, and that was how I felt his love. Huh. And that is something I think that really inspired me to to be interested in that and to, to follow it and to want to be able to do that, you know, for other people was to perpetuate that that care, that love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and wood is an incredible medium. And I, you know, the thing that I say about working with wood is that it's beautiful already. So all you have to really do as huh. a woodworker is not screw it up, hmm. you know? And, and, and the, cause I love wood as a medium, but I also love working in wood shops. And I think a big part of the reason that I love working in wood shops is that the, the men who get good at this are, are men who are sensitive hmm. and very resonant. Um, wood resonates and I think hmm. if you are sensitive to the material that you're working with, which is the only way to get good at working with it, uh, you have to be, you have to resonate with that as well. Interesting. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of an oxymoron, this assumption that we make of kind of the hardened old guy who's, you know, out there working at his wood shop, you know, making things, yeah. <laughs> surviving, uh, isolated and alone. I mean, you know, that I'm sure occurs, but... Um, but in my experience, the men who do this um, are very sensitive. Mm. And I have really felt the benefit of that. You know, and I think part of it is, is because I am female. Um, mm-hmm. And there's always, 
this is true of, of welding as well. You know, I was working in a, in a welding shop. It was like, you know, I'd show up and there's kind of an apprehension, like, like nobody's really sure how to be with me. Oh. It's like, you know, cause when I feel like when you're on a, on a welding site or even in a, in an educational welding sort of context, mm-hmm. um, you know, you get to just be a man, and you can spit if you want, and you can fart, and it's fine. <laughs> you know, there's this kind of vibe, and and when a when a woman shows up, it's like, oh, is this one of the ones who wants the doors opened, or the ones who doesn't want us to open the doors more? <laughs> it's mm. like this this almost um, interruption in kind of the vibe, and I I think I've been very lucky um, in that. It you know it can, it can go one of two ways I think mm. when you have that kind of like interruption and and apprehension and I have always been very fortunate in that it has it has proved to be a really positive experience I think for me and and generally for the energy of the shop as well you know it's like I have experienced that I have have brought some level of of um, rallying almost it's strange I don't mean to to make it like it's all about me but it's like when we're talking about masculinity in this in this masculine quote-unquote environment um, being interrupted by a very feminine presence um, because and that was funny too because as as much as I have really always been comfortable with mm-hmm. my masculine self. I mean, from the time I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing like being surrounded by a bunch of really burly welders to make you feel like a woman, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so in some ways I think, you know, when I was taking my, when I was in, in school for welding, I, um, it, I, it really like ladied me up, <laughs> you know, I was like, Oh, really kind of felt and I think, to some extent, got in touch with my own femininity in a way that I hadn't before. And it it took that environment for me to really kind of take that leap and just really be in my womanness. Because I was nineteen when I when I took this industrial welding course, um, and it was a trip, man. It was really a growing experience for me. Um, but yeah, and so to, to, you know, be this interruption, this feminine interruption in this very masculine, you know, you're cutting steel with fire. <laughs> um, and everybody was showed up when I, when I, sorry, everybody was surprised when I showed up. And then when I started to develop the skill and really showed quite an aptitude for it, mm. um, it was, there was just this, like, it was, everybody just took such pleasure in the fact that I was a relatively attractive young female who was really good at vertical yeah. stick welding, <laughs> you know, uh. and they, and, and these guys, these old guys, you know, a lot of them were ex-military. Some of them were, were ranchers. I mean, they were from all sort of different walks of life, but mm. all shared this, you know, masculine experience. Um, they were so proud. <laughs> they were like really excited and proud that I was so good at this. (laughs) So I really got the benefit of that. And also I think really got to experience, um, a softness that I don't, I mean, I, it would have been present without me there, but Mm -hmm. I think it would have been experienced in a different way. And so one of the great joys that I take in working in shops is that my, 
just by virtue of my being female and being present in these environments, I think the softness and the quirkiness and the sensitivity of the people who work there really becomes evident. And I, I get to reap the benefit of that. Hmm. I'm curious. I'm sure you've had run up against moments of adversity where men might have denied the fact that you were even in the room mm. in these arenas mm. of woodworking and, mm -hmm. and welding? Um, no, I mean, I, I guess I've, I've had experiences of, of men who, you know, kind of take this attitude of, you know, I don't care that you're a woman. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like you're gonna, you're gonna do, do the job. Do the job. Exactly. And yeah. that's totally, I mean, absolutely. We're here to do the job. Let's do it. Um, but I also, you know, this is sort of where I get to cheat. You know, I, I, I do, I, you know, give everybody space mm -hmm. and make it clear that I'm not here to threaten anyone, that I'm not here to, you know, show anybody up. I'm just, I, I want to do the work and I am good at it. Uh, but I'm not, you know, we don't have to make that a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I do, I do get to kind of turn on the charm. And the timing of that hmm. is very specific. Mm -hmm. But um, being a charming woman made me very good at welding. You know, everybody kind of showed me his tricks. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's also just, I think... The aspect of um, novelty, you know, it's like there's one female in the shop. Well, let's go see what she's doing. <laughs> let's go see how she's doing. See how she's coming along, you know. And um, and there's the the pride thing mixed in with with the novelty kind of made me. I mean, in that in that particular in that welding shop, you know, I really sort of was the, the bell of the ball, if you will. Oh, you know, it's sure. <laughs> like. Um, kind of the center of the tension and there was this there was there was one guy who um you know wasn't gonna feed into that game he yeah. was here to do what he was here to do and um <laughs> i just really liked him i mean huh. I, I just really liked to you know his attitude and he was a good welder he was very straightforward yeah and i you know and eventually he very sort of um organically he began to like me as well and just kind of got to a point where it wasn't worth denying that like mm -hmm. we didn't neither of us we reached a certain point where where nobody had anything to prove um so i think ultimately that has been about patience you mm -hmm. know in terms of men who don't want to feed into the whatever this is right. woman in a shop whatever that's that's you know that for me has been about patience um mm -hmm. i had one other experience in a in a wood shop where and this but this wasn't about me being a woman either. This guy was just kind of a jerk and he would just like hmm. like lash out at people. Hmm. Um, and I think that my reaction, which was much stronger than anyone else's reaction to him to that point, yeah. Um, I think my reaction was because I was female. Um, hmm. You know. And, and, but you know what? I can't even say that. It's that I, it's that I'm a waitress, you know, and I, I will not be spoken to in a certain way, um, outside the context of being paid a great deal, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's what waitressing has done for me. But it's also, you know, to some extent, it's this guy. I mean, he's just, 
he's got a lot of insecurities and a lot of ego and he just sort of, you know, lords it over people that way and it just treats people badly. And, um, yeah, I mean, and to some extent it's because, you know, I was, I was not 19 when I was working in this shop and I, I did have skills and I just wasn't going to be spoken to that way. And I think part of it is that, that I, you know, was the only woman in that context as well. Mm. And there's, um, I, uh, there's a word that is profanity, but it, I feel I have to use it in order to describe, um, you know, making someone your bitch, that, that is something that I am very sensitive to, Mm -hmm. partly because I am a woman and partly because I have been waiting tables for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what this guy does with people. Mm -hmm. He just sort of, he's just a jerk, you know, and he just treats people like they're, like they're less than. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he, he went in that direction with me and I, I reacted very directly and in a very strong manner. Um, and I think that a lot of that was about being female in a very masculine environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, I mean, I've never been sexually harassed in a shop setting ever. Mm-hmm. I've been sexually harassed as a, as a server, mm-hmm. both by, by patrons of, of the restaurant where I was working and also, um, by, by coworkers. I have had that experience as well but I think that's something that I have gotten from working in shops is a very direct manner of communicating mm-hmm. and so when that has happened um, I deal with it myself and very strongly and it it doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. and once it happens once with one person it never happens again with that person mm-hmm. and I think that I have gotten that from being in these masculine environments because the, the communication tends to be very direct. Mm-hmm. I know that you spent two years of your life living in Africa. Yeah. And you, I, what do I think? You were about eight, eight years old. Uh, we uh, we moved over when I was five and came back when I was seven. Okay. Yeah. Do you have memories uh, of that moment that really caused a forming quality to you? Um, it, it wasn't. I mean, it was. I think the the moment was when we came back mm. and I realized that I wasn't, I mean, I always knew that I was American, but I didn't, when we came back, I didn't feel American. Mm-hmm. And um, I have, growing up, you know, since that time in the States, really not been able to see eye to eye with feminists and feminism. Huh. And I think that a huge part of that is is because of my time in West Africa. Because in in Ghana, you know, they're they're culturally women are. Uh, this is it's kind of funny, but the idea is that women are subservient to to men, mm-hmm. and you know, obeying your husband is definitely a, a thing over there. But the thing that kind of makes it a joke is that. Ghanaian women are stronger than any human I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't just Ghana. It's a lot of different places in Africa because, yeah, I mean, technically, you know, my, my father's always said that the only beings that work harder than women in Africa are the, are the donkeys. You know, I mean, women work and, and 
that the men don't have quite the same reputation. Mm. Um, and by American standards, those women are, are chattel. You know, they don't have rights. They don't have anything. Um, but they are still the strongest people I have ever encountered. Mm. And and I think that what that showed me was, you know, that you don't... Other people don't give you your power. You have your power. And your circumstances... Um, hmm. Your circumstances don't have anything to do with who you are. They can... Your circumstances can limit what you get to do or, or how you get to behave but I think a lot of the time when we find ourselves in confining circumstances that's where the strength of who we are actually gets to surface so I don't think it's an accident that women who are societally less than are in, in the case of, of what I observed in Ghana mm -hmm. are powerhouses hmm. you know and uh, and so this, I mean, I'm probably treading on toes here, but this idea in our country that women don't get to be strong and empowered unless men step aside, I I cannot I cannot entertain that. Hmm. You know, I'm not going to ask anyone for my power. The men don't have my power. Hmm. I have my power, hmm. and I have never met a man who made me feel like an object. Because I know that I'm not an object. And I mean, you know, being a, a sexual being creates layers. But men are sexual beings too. And I can feel my own feminine and masculine sexuality in the same body, in the same sort of time, space, mm. existing together, coexisting. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes me curious about like the dating scene uh -huh. and and men today. Uh -huh. um, have you dated recently? <laughs> I God, you know, honestly, I don't think I've ever really dated. I've just gotten to know gotten to know people and gotten to know men that I like and can feel chemistry with, and you mm -hmm. know, just kind of go from there as a human thing. I don't know. It's Sometimes I feel like maybe I should date. Um, it hasn't worked out for me that way in the past. Um, I I think about it a lot, you know, kind of, and especially, you know, as a, a, as a single person now, um, think about sort of what my next move will be, you know. Yeah. I think about what I want and what would be good for me and, and who I would be good for, you know, the kind of man that I would be a good partner for because it's, you know, I mean could potentially be quite a narrow um, spectrum. Yeah, you're not going to change yourself just right. to fit. Oh, no, no, of course not. And I and I also get that as a woman who does sort of manly things, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, that's, that, that can be, um, that can be kind of dangerous and uncomfortable mm -hmm. for, for men, I think, uh, for, for some men. And so, Something that I have always been very careful of, and I was very fortunate in, you know, the, the example that my, my mother set for me. Um, I think that one of the, the signs of really unhealthy femininity is, is a woman who 
moves to emasculate um, the men around her. Mm. And and so that is something that I have always been very careful with. Mm. Um, you know, we talk about this phrase, man up. Yeah. Um, I, I have a very specific uh, sort of avoidance to that phrase and the kinds of things that it... Um, that it communicates yeah. um, this whole concept of what a man is and what a man should be and mm. what you have to accomplish or know in order to qualify as a man, I think is horrible. I think it's a horrible double standard, you know, this, this society that we, that we exist in now. And I think, you know, modern American feminism really kind of complicates the issue. Again, it's that, that, that question of, do I open a door for this woman or mm. do I not? How is she going to react? Mm. How is she going to, you know, how is this going to make her feel? And, and to some extent, you know, I feel like there is kind of a paralyzing effect for modern men. Mm. And it's like, God, I, I wouldn't know what to do, you know? Yeah, I think that question, uh, the Mankind podcast is a manifestation of that question. Mm-hmm. Do I open the door? Do I yes. not? Um, I I also think it's fascinating what you say that you're not going to ask any man to get out of the way so Mm -hmm. that I can experience the fullness of my being femininity or my masculinity. Exactly. Um, and, um, I, uh, you know, I agree with that or Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that at the very least. Um, you also, we're going to wrap up here in a couple Mm -hmm. minutes, but Mm -hmm. I, you work with metal you work as a welder Mm -hmm. you work with woodwork Mm -hmm. yet your artistry also uh is focused on clothing and design which not to label something but Mm -hmm. woodwork metal feels Mm -hmm. masculine clothing feels feminine and i think it's fascinating that Mm -hmm. you have this multifaceted way of Mm -hmm. expressing your artistic vision Mm -hmm. um can you talk about the your experience with designing clothes and sure. maybe what your vision is behind that? Sure. Actually, you know, I think, I think for me, it's always about process. Um, and there's a, a funny little sort of segue in that running a TIG welder is very much like running a sewing machine. <laughs> um, so to some extent, you know, I mean, it's about, it's about the material. Um, it's about knowing the material and being sensitive to the material and, Fabric obviously is is completely different from from steel, mm-hmm. um, but they do relate to one another. And woodwork, you know, wood working with wood is is in there as well. You know, it's all I think about listening. And you know, when I was a kid, I I think I mean I got into sewing earlier than I got into woodworking, yeah. partly just because those are the materials that were around. You mm. know, my grandma was a seamstress and she taught me how to sew and we had a sewing machine and I had access to a sewing machine before I had a, had access to a table saw. Um, and so it was like, you know, when I was a kid, sort of how I got started with sewing is, is I would just drape fabric around my my body you know it was about about you know oh well what if this what what if this is pinned over here what does this look like if it's pinned over here and then move over to a totally different kind of fabric and and how does that how does that change things Mm -hmm. but ultimately you know you do the same thing with with metalwork so I think you know a lot of my work is about the body it's it's even the woodworking sculptures, you know, it's about the body moving around the sculpture. Mm. It's about how we interact with things as humans. Um, it's about, I mean, 
my work is all about, you know, sort of the physicality of the human experience. And, and the clothes, I think, are interesting. And that, because that is considered more, more feminine to sew and to make clothes. And, and that's something that, you know, when you make a, a, an article of clothing, it's something that, that wraps around you. Where you, when you make a big wooden sculpture, you move around it. And I guess we can... That's inf- fascinating. Yeah, we can infer something about feminine and masculine. But I, as a human, have the desire to invoke both of those states of being. Yeah, I have this image of you in clothes that you've made for yourself mm-hmm. in a space working on wood or welding. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like this inherent inner experience in this outer experience yes. where the masculine and the feminine are kind of playing off of each other. Totally. That's so totally. cool. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I... I, I want to go back to something we said earlier, you know, of not not asking a man to move out of my way in order to experience right. my masculinity, femininity itself. Um, and I just want to make a note here that I have been very blessed to have really positive masculine influences sure. in my life, which is, I think, a huge part of the reason that I related to my own masculinity with such care and affection is mm-hmm. because of the men in my life and that they encouraged me and allowed me to be whoever and whatever I was and make whatever it was I was going to make. Um, but yes, I think I'm very fortunate in that I have this very wholesome sort of acceptance of my own masculinity as well, as well as femininity and that that all gets to manifest itself in how I move through the world as well as what I make and how I want people to interact with the things that I make. Hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. I also just want to recall something you said earlier about how we might, I'm paraphrasing, but that Mm -hmm. we gravitate to um, the things that perhaps our parents uh, did as a form of love, Mm -hmm. that you you experienced your dad building the house as an an expression of his love, and that perhaps your artistry is... Not mimicking that, but carrying on in that yes, kind of tradition. Yes, yes, very much so. And my, my grandmother made clothes for me, and that was very much how she loved me. So, so yeah, I mean, both of these things are pretty integral to, to who I am. And it's how I, you know, the practice of, of, doing, of, of doing these things are how I get my love out into the world. So, Susanna, mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to find you inquire about the work that you do where can they find you oh well i'm <laughs> i'm pretty underground <laughs> <laughs> um but instagram is a good way to kind of see sort of what i've what i've been up to um and my instagram is susanna de la sun s-u-s-a-n-n-a-h d-a-y-l-a-s-u-n great and we'll have that you can see that um linked in the bio stuff that we have for the podcast itself to close us off we're gonna i'm gonna do rapid fire and i'd like you to say the the first word that comes to your mind uh when you when you hear these words okay man mountain woman pond masculine hammer feminine feather strength rope weakness water leader I'm seeing a gallon jug, but (laughs) (laughs) cool. Who knows? (laughs) A gallon jug. Success. Uh, Metal. Health. 
Oh, God, that's a tough one right now. Right now, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess the first thing that popped into my mind was a, a mask. <laughs> a mask, yeah. Yeah. Wealth. Mm. Big house. Sex. Oh. I mean, I saw the missionary position, but. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and lastly, you. Oh. R- one word? Yeah, or, you know, phrase. Okay. Um, wraparound skirt. Cool. <laughs> Susanna Ray Downing. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on this show. I really am heartened by the fact that you're doing this. I think this is fantastic. Cool. Okay. Thank you so much for checking out the Mankind Podcast in this episode with Susanna Ray Downing. We hope you guys are safe. We hope you're well. We hope you're healthy. If you like our stuff, subscribe to it, leave a review, and don't go quietly into the night. <laughs>